Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Hello, good morning. This is Ken Murray and welcome to the Michael Reed Show. Coming up, we talk to Aintu leader and candidate for Mead West, Pather Tobin. We also talk to independent candidate in Mead East, Joe Bonner. Shortly after 10 o'clock, we'll have four candidates for Mead West, namely Minister of State, Damien English of Fine Gael, Johnny Gwerk of Sinn Féin, Seamus McManaman of the Green Party and John Malone of Renewa. And in the real world, commuters are now spending more and more time getting to work as traffic queues lengthen and bus and rail seats fill up quicker. Connor Faulkner of AA Roadwatch will be joining us. And of course, if you do want to get in touch, please do use our text number. It's uh, 1850 958. And uh, of course, we'll be giving out the text number right throughout the morning. Okay, let's uh, get down to business. I'm joined in studio this morning uh, by uh, Pather Tobin, who is the leader of Aintu, former Sinn Féin TD for Midwest. Good morning, Pather, and thanks very much indeed for joining us. Good morning. Okay, first of all, Aintu are one of the new kids on the block. So uh, for the average Joe and Mary who perhaps isn't well tuned in to politics, what does Aintu mean? What does it stand for? What are you offering to the public that the other parties are not? Well, we are a brand new political party. We're just a year old. And in that time, we have grown very significantly. We have about 2,000 members across uh, the country at the moment. We have 66 functioning common. Uh, we fought a number of elections so far. We gained about 35,000 votes. And now we have elected reps from uh, Wexford to Derry. Uh, and those elected reps uh, are very different from the other political parties. Uh, in other words, you know, these people have a backbone. They're not afraid to stand up for what they believe in. They don't just stick their finger in the air to find out which way the wind is blowing. And one of the biggest problems I've seen in the political system in Ireland is most TDs maybe start off with a positive idea about what they're going to do, but many of them get captured by the Leinster House bubble. And many of them become of the view that it's just about keeping their seat. And I, I think, have tried to build a political party where uh, our elected reps don't put their own seats before the people. They put the people before their own seats. Okay, well, look, you left Sinn Féin because you took, if you, because the party, rather, took a pro-choice stand on abortion. The majority of people in this country voted to legalise abortion. Would you accept that, uh, <clears throat> effectively, you misread the mood of the public? Well, first of all, uh, I, le- I left Sinn Féin for a number of reasons. I left Sinn Féin because they wouldn't allow a freedom of conscience. And freedom of conscience is really important. All your listeners should have the right to be able to express their strongly held views in a res- respectful and reasonable manner and to act in, in, in those views. I wasn't allowed to do that, as were uh, a lot of other people. I also found that Sinn Féin were... were I suppose, forgetting about the bread and butter issues that were affecting people. And they were getting distracted, I felt, by a lot of the culture wars um, that, that were happening at the time. <clears throat> so my instinct is, you know, no matter what your view in it uh, of that particular issue is, you should have the right to express 
your views uh, uh, respectfully and reasonably as well. Well, let me stop you there now, because what you seem to be implying there is that that something that surfaced last week is that decision and instruction within Sinn Féin comes by diktat from the Ard Kolya. Is that the case? Like, it's when I was uh, in Sinn Féin, there are many good people there, and I don't want to kick the shins out of Sinn Féin in this particular election cycle. But what, what I will say, and I'll be honest about my particular experience there, TDs met on a weekly basis. Uh, many of them met um, with the staffers. So a TD had as much say in those meetings as you know a staff member who just walked in off the street the day before. Um, and those parliamentary meetings were like focus groups. So no decisions were made by those TDs whatsoever. Um, it, the... The, the temperature of or the desire of the party was 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 gauged, and then other people made the decisions. And I felt that was wrong. I felt that there's a special relationship between a TD that has a democratic mandate and the citizens. And when that's broken by you know staff etc., that's not healthy. The other issue that I felt that um, Sinn Fein were making a mistake about was, I believe that the Ord Corlea should be run by the membership of the party, and uh, in our new political party, into. All the Ord Corlea is elected from the Ordesh. But in Sinn Féin, only a minority of the Ord Corlea was elected from the Ordesh. Uh, and that meant that the membership didn't have proper input or oversight with regard to the decision-making process. Now, I did my best to... I wrote reform documents and gave them to uh, Jerry Adams and I gave them to Mary Lou. And, you know, these were logical reform documents that many people agreed with in the party, mind you. Um, but unfortunately, none of, the, none of those reforms have been actually instituted. That suggests that Sinn Féin, though, is a, a form of dictatorship that uh, you, as a rank and file member, albeit an elected TD, you must take instruction from the top rather than, if you like, agreed policy amongst all the members. Yeah, so in other words, in a functioning democracy, the people, the 10,000 people who vote for me, I have a direct responsibility to those people to represent their views the best I can in Leinster House. And also by voting for a, a TD, what you're actually doing is you're saying, I respect the judgment of that TD and I want that person, that TD, to use their judgment in future on my behalf in difficult decisions. Um, but when a political party uh, demands that you are loyal to the party 100%, and not loyal to the citizen 100%. That's where a lot of the problems uh, exist in Irish politics. Sounds politics. like a, a cult. Well, it, it, Sinn Féin is not the only party that behaves like this, to be honest. There are other political parties, like Fianna Fáil, for example, would would have a, um, a similar type of, of situation, not to the same extent uh, as Sinn Féin, but there, there are problems in other political parties too. Okay, let's move on, because, as I said, Aintu was set up when the... Uh I suppose the abortion debate was at its peak. You left because you didn't uh, believe in the stance that Sinn Féin was taking. And, uh, what I'm t- I suppose what I'm trying to ask you is the abortion issue has been dealt with now. So the raison d'etre that brought about the establishment of Aintu at face value no longer exists. So <clears throat> well, but effectively, uh, Aintu then has no reason to exist anymore if you're indeed uh, a pro-life anti-abortion party? Well, first of all, we are the only political party in Leinster House that supports the right to life of everyone. And that's a phenomenal thing to, th- to, to have to say that, you know, none of the political parties have a policy where they support the right to life of every single person in Irish society. Uh, and, you know, indeed, that's why a lot of people joined us and a lot of people support us. But if anybody has listened to me over the last year in this new political party, they'll realise that we have 
a very deep and detailed level of policy on a range of different issues. In fact, I think most people in Meath would recognise that when it comes to, let's say, the, the hospital uh, crisis that we have uh, in County Meath, that I, have, I am the chair of the Save Navin Hospital campaign. We've taken 40,000 people onto the streets of Meath over four years. And uh, you've achieved very little, to be honest. Collect. We've kept the A&E open. Uh, and to be honest, <clears throat> Navin was one of nine hospitals identified by HICWA for closure. And Navin is the last hospital standing. So for a community group like the Save Navin Hospital campaign to protect an A&E in the force of, uh, of that government is a fantastic thing. Now the government still have a policy to close the a in A&E in Navin, which I think would be a disaster. It is the most important piece of infrastructure in Meath, and that's why I am committed to make sure that that, that happens. Other issues as such that you know people will have heard us talking about and working on over the last while is the, the commuter chaos that's happening in our society. And I believe that's actually one of the biggest issues in this election campaign. So many people are being literally hammered by three and four hour commutes. People are seeing their kids on the weekend, sure. or if they're very lucky in it for a stressed half an hour on the evening. So I'm the chair of the Meath on Track campaign, and that's a cross-party, cross-community campaign that has been meeting and uh, developing to push the government to build the rail lines in Avon. And indeed, we aim to bring thousands of people onto the streets of Meath in April uh, to force the government to do the right thing. And I've said from the, this uh, election cycle, I have said that in this uh, uh, in negotiations for government, if I am lucky enough to be elected. I will aim to go into government and I will pitch for the Minister of Transport position because the like my county is absolutely hammered with the commuter hell that's affecting so many sure, people. And, w- and one could argue that's the price we pay for, if you like, a successful economy that uh, things have picked up and more and more people are moving from Dublin out to Meath to live. No. And therefore the population has grown, there's more cars on the road and, and the commute is getting longer because I would, of traffic queues. I would respectfully disagree and I'll tell you why. Because the government have a spatial chaos in Ireland. They're, they are pouring all of the jobs into Dublin. So any young family now, uh, with two kids, maybe they've gone to college, They have no option but to go to Dublin uh, to get a job. But, of course, because of the housing crisis, all the... the, 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 the houses in Dublin are far too expensive. So they have to move 30 to 40, 50 miles away and they have to commute uh, from those areas into the centre of Dublin. What AIM2 is actually saying is that we can actually develop jobs in counties such as Meath, jobs in counties uh, such as, uh, as Louth, and that people should be able to work locally. It's not good for people's physical, mental health. It's not good for the environment. And it's certainly not good for the economy when you have such a level of congestion. Dublin is the most congested city in Europe. Sure, it's but, the 17th uh, most congested city sure, in the world. But, but we know that's all not this. The, that's not the function of sure, a healthy economy. Sure, sure. We know all this, but uh, nobody seems to have come up with, the, if you like, the magic solution uh, effectively to stop all the uh, all the jobs going to Dublin. The foreign direct investors, whether they're the Facebooks or the Googles, they want to be in Dublin because of access to an airport, access to a port. Uh, staff can have a social life, <coughs> albeit that it's a, an expensive one. So what would you suggest to encourage more foreign investors, we say, to go to Westmeath or Roscommon or Mayo? I studied uh, economics uh, in college. I have a postgrad uh, from the Michael Smurfett School of Business in Enterprise. I worked as a management consultant um, with about 2,000 different businesses. And I can tell you what businesses need. They need easy access in and out of a location. They need access to smart, work, hard-working workers. They need access to ICT, information communication technology. And they need access to make sure that they have uh, all the supports that the, the state can provide. They will locate 
anywhere that these uh, elements exist. They don't exist in the likes of, of, of parts of County Mead at the moment because people can't get in and out of those areas. I've spoken to people uh, from China. I've talked to them with an effort to try and get them to come in to the county uh, to set up new businesses. And they've told me very simply, it takes too long to get to County Mead. The traffic is too bad. So this congestion that has been created by this the government uh, is actually... Uh, leading to a lack of jobs in Meath. And remember, and just one one more point on this, because of Fianna Gael's decisions over the last 10 years, Ireland has been second last in uh, Europe with regards to the level of infrastructural investment. Only Romania has beaten us with regards to a worse level of infrastructure investment. Sure, okay. Well, we've had a a recession, as you know, since 2008, and and, and the public funds were in a bad way. But I want to move on to, if you like, one of the burning issues of the moment. What would AIM2 do to solve the housing crisis at a time when people are hoarding land? And as we know, because of the recession, there was an exodus of carpenters, bricklayers, plumbers, tilers, roofers, tradespeople. They just aren't here in abundance in the way they were. What would aim to do to sort out the housing crisis and bring down the ridiculous cost of rent? Well, I'm the chair of the Mead Housing Campaign, and my office is now, in fairness, would have helped thousands of people who are in housing distress uh, over the last uh, number of years. And indeed, it is one of the most important issues for ourselves. Uh, there are 3,500 people who are on the housing waiting list in Mead. There are 4,000 empty houses in Mead. Now, in what planet is that acceptable that you have that level of vacancy and dereliction in County Right, Mead? but what would you I, do? Well, first of all, what we would do is we would make sure there's a proper, proper vacant site tax to make sure to stop speculators hoarding land and preventing that land coming into the system. We would actually introduce a derelict house uh, tax that after a period of time, if a landlo- landowner was allowing a building or a block of, of, of property to remain derelict, that a tax would come into place as a stick to help them get that property back into the system. But we'd also put 200 million euros a year in place to allow for families who maybe own a derelict property but don't have the funds to be able to get that derelict property back into use. We would make sure that they have access to that, that, that plot of land. There are towns and villages in my constituency where you can't get a house to rent but there are dozens of vacant, derelict buildings. Navan has a section of, of, of the town which has been derelict for the last 10 years and is actually bringing antisocial behaviour into, uh, into the area as a result of it. Right, but we, the have second scarce, issue, no, but we have a scarcity of tradespeople, and this is the problem, that people want to build, but the carpenters, the block layers, the brick layers, the electricians, they're just not there in the same numbers that they, that they used to be. So well, what do we need to do to either get these people back... Returning immigrants, we've discussed this in this programme, are having trouble getting insurance. We have uh, people having difficulty getting their sons and daughters into college by virtue of the fact that they resided in another country for the last 10 or 15 years. The whole thing is a bit of a mess. First of all, I will say that uh, one of the major problems in the housing sector is speculation. A house should be a home. The price of a house should be based on its value as a home. But right now, within the Irish uh, property industry, we, its speculation is a major element of the price. And speculation drives these peaks and the troughs, and they create these crashes in the long run. So what Ainty wants to do... Well, demand want, is greater than supply. That's it, the, the but but, but the, the, the demand has been fueled by vulture funds. There's, there's a large number of vulture funds currently buying up big plots of, of, of properties currently, and they're doing so 
at a competitive advantage against the first-time buyer. So they have lower interest rates on the international bond okay, market. Okay, but what would you do? What no, would no, you they, do? This is a really yeah. important issue. So what we would do is we would take the competitive advantage away from the vulture fund. We, the UN has stated that the Irish government have rolled out the red carpets to vulture funds in Ireland. Isn't that incredible? So not even the parties like Aintus, we're not just the only people criticising... But that, was, that was done to get bad debt off the books. But uh, it's, it's interesting. You're dead right. I spoke to Michael Noonan around this, and Michael Noonan said that vulture funds are an important part, an important part of the ecosystem. He okay. says they clean up the carcasses. But this is the, the important part here. Carcasses. Very briefly. Families are not carcasses. Families in, in, are entitled to decent housing and decent homes. And we can do that if we spend in, in, in public housing and if we fix the dysfunctional private sector. Okay, in a minute, one minute, what would aim to offer the people of Ireland if you got into government? Well, first of all, what we're saying to people is that uh, we have, Ireland has been ruled by a political cartel uh, since literally the foundation of the state. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have have run this country for vested interests and inner circles. Uh, is Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael the best that we can do uh, in Ireland? Do we not have the, the brains, the intelligence, the energy to build a balanced, prosperous country, you know, where people can actually live locally and work locally. And we're asking people to think outside of that political cartel, to look at AIN2, and to make sure people that look at the record of work that I've done in County Meath, I don't believe, you know, that, that okay, any, other, briefly, any, any other politician has carried out the level of work on, on the hospital, on the rail line, and on housing over the last uh, uh, 10 years. Okay, Pather Tobin, leader of AIN2, and TD for me, the West, we're going to have to leave it there. The clock has beaten us again, and uh, thanks very much indeed for popping in to see us. Okay, more to come. We'll take Ken Murray on LMFM. Well, now, if you were reading uh, the newspapers and indeed watching uh, TV news last night, uh, you would know, of course, that uh, Sinn Féin has made a major jump in the polls. The Red Sea opinion poll yesterday has really put the cat among the pigeons, so to speak. Uh, to discuss it further, I'm joined on the line right now by our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Good morning, Sean. No, we don't have Sean, uh, but I'd just uh, say once again that if you do want to get in touch, the phone number is 1850 Our text number is 086-1800-658. OK, I do believe we've Sean Defoe on the line right now, who's our political correspondent. And as I was saying, that the Red Sea opinion poll yesterday has surprised a lot of people. Red Sea polls are pretty consistent down through the years, and they've put Sinn Féin ahead of Fine Gael, believe it or believe it not. Well, to discuss it further. Sean Defoe is on the line right now. Good morning, Sean. Morning, Ken. Okay, talk us through these figures. I mean, 24% for Sinn Féin uh, is quite impressive, but uh, there's a caveat with this, and it is that even though Sinn Féin policies are proving popular with the public, uh, the fact that they don't have, we'll say, the same cohort of candidates across the country uh, suggests that Mary Lou MacDonald will not be Taoiseach. So talk us through the figures and really what they mean, and more to the point, why Sinn Féin uh, and its manifesto is proving popular with the public. Yeah, so to start off, I suppose, with the poll numbers, the red poll, yesterday, a 1,000 people surveyed in the six days up to last Thursday, so it takes in uh, quite a few of the debates. You see Singapore down 2 to 24%, Sinn Féin up 5 also to 24%, those who tied as the largest parties in the country. Fine Gael down 2 to 21%, Number of the parties, you've got the Greens on 7, Labour on 5, the Social Democrats 
on three and the other parties all on two, one percent or less independents and others getting about 12 percent of the vote. So you see a very clear top down breakdown there uh, in terms of the Sinn Féin vote and why people are going there. I think what you're seeing is that there's a lot of people who are disaffected with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil who seem to be putting a pox on the houses of anyone who's been in government for the last 20 years. If you look at the support of where Labour are, the Greens are obviously up statistically on where they were at the last election, but not in the same kind of wave that we thought before, except really in Dublin, which is where they're expected to pick up the majority of their seats. You're seeing Fianna Fáil stagnate a little bit as well. They haven't created any sort of a clear water between themselves and Fine Gael or Sinn Féin, indeed level with Sinn Féin in this particular poll, which will be worrying for Michal Martin heading into the final week and down two points in this particular poll. So if they were selling themselves as this uh, agent of change, the electorate certainly isn't hopping into their arms, even if they are slightly dismissing Fine Gael. And so we have to look then at why are people heading towards Sinn Féin? I think one part is that they haven't been in government for the last 20 years in the Republic, at least, that they are someone who's new, someone who's a bit, little bit different. I think the change in leadership has been significant. The, when you look at the top team that they have now, with Mary Lou McDonnell, Pierce Doherty and Owen O'Brien, you've got three very, very strong politicians who know their briefs inside and out. They've learned the lessons of the very poor local elections and the poor presidential election in that they have to get their core areas out to vote. And a lot of their policies are quite popular. There's obviously questions over how they're going to raise the money to fund them. I think 16 new taxes, mostly on high earners or banks or businesses, uh, which raises questions. And Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will no doubt try to hammer that home over the next week. But in terms of housing, in terms of what they're doing for, for health, free GP care, there's quite a lot of proposals there that people would like. And a cohort who Sinn Féin haven't really tapped into before. They were always popular with the 18 to 25s, but there's not a huge amount of them and they don't usually vote anyway. Sinn Féin have now managed to really insert themselves as a viable option in the cohort of people aged between 25 and 60, which is the majority of the electorate and which is where, if they are going to make gains, they need to get votes. The pensions issue, has that played, if you like, into the mix in terms of the Sinn Féin uh, rating going up to 24%? I think it's a part of it. I'm not sure how big a part. Obviously, it affects a certain cohort of people. Sinn Féin are saying they would reduce the age of retirement back to 65, as opposed to some of the other parties who want to keep it climbing, even though they promised a transitionary payment. There was quite a good answer given by Pierre Starty at the Sinn Féin manifesto. I wanted to put to him, well, look, you've got to fund these pensions somehow demographics are changing and there's going to be a lot more older people relative to the working population so how are you going to do it and said well look we can we're going to do it through general taxation in, in other ways in other areas and that can fund the the social insurance fund and there's anyone who's talking to around the country who wants to retire at 65 people don't want to be working their entire life or all the way up to the 70 so it is an attractive pitch for people even if there are some questions over the long-term funding which is what caused Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and Labour to to initially support raising the actual age of retirement um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are ruling out doing any deal with Mary Lou MacDonald after next weekend um, are they if you like applying bluster here, saying, oh, no, 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 stick with us, we won't have anything to do with Sinn Féin, or do you actually think that if the numbers fall in a certain way and the only way to get into power is to actually do a deal with Sinn Féin, that they'll, if you like, they'll succumb at the end? I think everything is off the table until it has to be put on the table, and the numbers at the moment, if they were to fall, as this poll has suggested, make forming a government very, very difficult, unless Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil do some sort of a deal, be that coalition or confidence supply, or 
someone breaks what they've said and does a deal with Sinn Féin. I think Micheál Martin is utterly opposed to it uh, ideologically. I think he does not want to do it, even if there are some in his party who would be willing to do it. Fine Gael at the weekend, you saw Leo Varadkar again rule it out. You saw their bizarre video on social media from Leo Varadkar's account where you had most of the cabinet all saying absolutely no, no way, never to any sort of coalition with Sinn Féin. But if the numbers fall a certain way, there may be no uh, particular choice unless Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil want to do the grand coalition or potentially form a confidence supply agreement mark two, which I think will be incredibly damaging for both parties as it has been for the last four years. So what we're seeing is a very unclear picture. And you have to remember, I mean, Fianna Fáil in the past said they would never do coalition full stop. And then when the numbers broke a certain way, they did it. So political parties will always say we'll never do anything until they're actually bought to that brink. But I do think there is very little appetite among other parties for actually doing business with Sinn Féin. Sure. Are the Red Sea figures misleading uh, in so much as uh, Sinn Féin has the same percentage popularity as Fianna Fáil, but has significantly less candidates in the 39 constituencies around the country? I don't think they're misleading in terms of preference of the vote, but I think it doesn't give you the accurate reflection of where we might be in terms of actual numbers. Sinn Féin only has 42 candidates. They took people off a ticket in certain constituencies, like Leitrim, for example, because of the local elections where they had a bit of a drubbing and they decided our best policy is to consolidate the seats we have rather than risk any further losses. In hindsight, with that uh, glorious gift of retrospection, that seems like it might have been a mistake and there were seats uh, Dublin Central, Dublin South Central, Dublin South West and others where they could have run a second candidate and potentially got a second candidate in. But of course, we can't do that now. I think looking at the numbers and having had a look through all the constituencies, that if Sinn Féin were to get 24% support, they're probably looking on a best day basis of somewhere in the high 20s in terms of seats. Obviously, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, even with a lower percentage, could potentially do more because they're both running 80 plus candidates. So, the actual makeup of the next doll, I think you could actually see Sinn Féin and Fine Gael not too far off each other, but Fianna Fáil might be ahead on their own with somewhere in the mid-50s, possibly even 60, depending on the day. So the, the, while the percentage is the same, the doll makeup might not be the same. OK, let's get away from Sinn Féin just for the moment. The Red Sea poll also sees a fall in support uh, for the Green Party, down 1% to 7%. One would have thought that with all the publicity around climate change, and recycling and all that goes with it, that the the Green Party would be doing better in the polls. Is 7% a realistic figure or is it a case of uh, people have had their fill of all the climate change commentary? No, I think climate change is definitely an issue, but I don't think it's the top issue in this election. It's probably second or third, maybe fourth on a lot of people's priorities after housing, health, maybe pensions, childcare, insurance, transport, whatever you're having yourself, depending on the particular area that you live in. So, well, it is. I think the Greens are going to do very well on preferences. I think that's where they'll probably pick up their seats. I think 7% nationally is probably about right, and you're looking at probably 14 15% in Dublin and quite a bit lower outside of Dublin. There's a couple of seats maybe in the commuter belt in areas like Kildare North and Wicklow that they could pick up either. So I don't think the Green Party has run a particularly fantastic uh, air campaign, if you like, over the broadcast airwaves or a particularly strong campaign in that sense. They are very active on the ground with teams out across the country. There's a certain decisions they may regret as well. For example, there was talk of adding a second candidate of running mate for Eamon Ryan in Dublin Bay South in, in Hazel Chew, who got, uh, I think, tw- nearly twice the quota in the local elections. They decided not to do that and to keep their one seat. So the Greens are in a, an opposition. They're obviously going to pick up seats in Dublin. I think they'll get eight seats in the capital alone. 
But then you've got a lot of areas where it's a scrap for the last seats that they will be in. If you look at Carlow, Kenny, Waterford, Galway West, Cork North Central and South Central, areas like that, you're going to see them in the shake-up for the final seats, but they might just miss out based on those current poll numbers and probably need a bit of a push. I believe Extinction Rebellion are holding some sort of protest or demonstration today to try and put green issues really on the agenda in the final week, but it certainly hasn't been a dominating factor in this election yet. Yeah, the poll also sees uh, support for Labour up 1% to 5%. Uh, Is that a a sign that perhaps uh, Labour is finally getting its message out to the public? I think Brendan Howland, to be fair to him, has actually had a pretty strong campaign so far. He was pretty solid in, in, you know, a very small amount of time in the couple of debates that he was on. Uh, And he's been pretty decent at getting their message across. But Labour has been rooted at 5 or 6% in the polls since the last election. They haven't really budged. It doesn't seem to be the same uptick for them that we saw in certain areas in the local election. So I think you're looking at a day where Labour is pretty much going to stand pat. I think seven or eight seats, the same as they had, maybe as high as 10 is what they're looking at. And you're looking at some high-profile casualties for Labour based on these numbers. Joan Burton in Dublin West is in great danger of losing her seat. John O'Sullivan in Limerick as well. And they already have retirements in terms of Brendan Ryan, though that seat should be kept in Dublin Fingal, uh, and in uh, Willie Penrose, a seat that they're probably going to lose. So Labour not surging in the way that they perhaps would have hoped, but I think within the party there might be a couple of fresh TDs, a couple of people who got back anywhere in the last time, uh, and some small signs for hope, certainly. OK, finally, Sean, and very briefly, I mean, is there embarrassment in Fine Gael with this poll that actually Sinn Féin has surpassed them? I think it's the first time in my memory that Sinn Féin has turned out to be more popular than Fine Gael in an opinion poll. Yes, definitely, there is. Uh, there is an acceptance the campaign is not going well. I don't overly believe that's Leo Varadkar's fault. I think he's actually had an all right campaign, but it seems to be, even talking to people in Finnegale, there's uh, almost death by a thousand cuts, nine years in government, the RIC commemorations, housing, health, Darren Murphy, Verona Murphy, Catherine Neal recently. There's a lot of scandals that have hit the Finnegale campaign, hit them on the ground, and they're certainly in danger. If 21% was replicated, for example, for Finnegale in the election, it will be worse than the 2002 election meltdown under uh, Michael Noonan, and it will be worse to return in terms of percentage in a general election since 1948 for Finnegale. They're in very big danger here. The big seats that could go, Regina Doherty's in Mid East is one of them who's, who's looking uh, vulnerable, uh, and other ministers around the country. So uh, it could be a tough week if Finnegale can't turn it around. OK, we're going to leave it there. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, thank you very much indeed for talking to us about the Red Sea poll published yesterday in the Business Post newspaper. OK, more to come. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. And if you do want to get in touch, our phone number is 1850-715-958. Our text number is 086-1800-658. OK, now we're continuing on with our series of one-to-one interviews with candidates in the Louth Meath area. Independent candidate... Councillor Joe Bonner is running for election in Meath East and he joins me in studio now. Good morning, Joe. Hi, good morning, Ken. Thanks very much indeed. I believe you're a Donegal man. Yes. So yeah. no doubt you were shouting for Meath yesterday. Uh, well, actually I was shouting for Donegal. Oh, Joe, my, that's my, treachery. Actually, treachery. my nephew plays for Donegal, uh, Kieran Thompson, and uh, his brother, uh, Anthony. So both of them are there. But I also, but I won't forget my friends in, in Ashburn and uh, Bratoth and uh, two lads in, in, in uh, Curraha. Okay, let's get down to business, as they say. Joe, you're an independent councillor based in Ashburn, and Ashburn is your bailiwick. I mean, if you went knocking on doors, we'll say, in Nobber or Kilmainham where you wouldn't be particularly well known, and somebody said to you, 
Why should I vote for Joe Bonner? What would you say? Because he's good. Well, what have you done? Get right in there, Joe, on the yeah, mic. Well, yeah, well, I, I have, um, for an auburn, I've, I've put it as... Um, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, what, what I have done, well, if re- I represent the people, not, not a political party, and uh, I have, um, an auburn hasn't been in my constituency, but the constituency that I'm in at the minute, in, 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 in the minute, in, in, Ash, in, the, in Ashburn, um, like, I've done an awful lot, and my track record is out there. Yeah, but, get right in there, Joe, yeah. But if I'm, if I'm elected, uh, I certainly will be looking after Nobber the same way as looked after all the rest of my area. Okay, so what have you done then in Ashburn? Well, what I've done in Ashburn, well, f- the first thing I've done in Ashburn is that I I lead, I give public information meetings, I give public information meetings on, on all sorts of topics, I take the people in, I engage with the people, and collectively we decide how to, how to tackle the issues. And I've been very, very successful. I've got... Uh, 1.5 million for a community centre in Ashburn. I've got um, uh, funding for flood relief for 1.95 million. I've also been very active on the N2 and the and and the Curraha. I've actually led the campaign there where others haven't done that. Right, that's a fiasco. I'll come to that in a, okay. in, in a second. But uh, yeah, go on. Continue on what you've done in Ashburn. Okay, I, I organise recycling events every year to date, and that's throughout the constituency from top to bottom. I've been doing that for the last fourteen years. I've collected over two thousand tons of waste. We are the top service providers. We use the top service providers in the country. I've got won two national awards from Repack for, for Recycling. I'm leading the campaign now in relation to plastics and um, we and we go across all, all the constituent relations. That. We also do Christmas tree recycling. I okay, I could yeah. say that a lot of councillors do exactly the same thing. Absolutely let, let, not. Let, you can't say that because I, uh, I'm the, I've taken the initiative. I've done it. And this is the biggest in the country, the best in the country, and we're leading the way. So Okay, let, let's talk about the N2. It's a road I regularly travel, and it does my head in in the morning, as it does with a lot of commuters from uh, South Louth, uh, Meath area, going into Dublin. We have what appears to be a ridiculous situation where the main road between Dublin and Derry, in the middle of the countryside at Primates town and indeed at Kilmoon Cross particularly at Primestown we have traffic lights there seems to be no logic to this whatsoever and people from Derry travelling to Dublin are gobsmacked that there's traffic lights in the middle of the countryside it creates tailbacks in some cases two miles long every morning in either way and the same in the evening people like you live in the locality why have you not used your influence with Meath County Council to try and get this issue sorted? Well actually if I can, if you know you may know that I have organised several public information meetings where I collected the people together on the N2 and we had uh, meetings there, got all the people together and we have been successful. I actually have been successful in getting funding for the upgrade of that road. I led the campaign. Nobody else came with me. I led the campaign and I circulated all that area around as far as Dulik and into Balrath up around Ashburn, Curraha, and all all that, we've had hundreds. But there's of no people. change. I mean, there's still but change there, in there, the morning. But there is absolutely a change. A, a change. There has been a change around Curraha. All the safety measures have been put, put into Curraha, and I actually got got funding of two million for that road. I know, Joe. Role. But what, I, what I'm saying and I met, is, no, just one word of a minute, Ken. I actually met with the minister. I led a delegation to the minister for the N two, and we went into the minister. 
and the minister to we, we brought to that meeting. I could have went into to that meeting and done a I know, Joe, but, ha- but Joe, let, let, let me make yeah. the point. The, the, the traffic may be flowing a little bit quicker, but as far yeah. as the average commuter going to Dublin in the morning via Kilmoon up to Primatestown into Ashburn and onto the M2, the delays in the morning are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if this was happening in Dublin 4, this would have been sorted long ago. Absolutely, and I'd, I'd, agree, I'd agree with that. I actually, when when we went to see the, went, went to see the minister, I took the 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 um, option or the decision that I took in all of the community with me, the business people, the community people. I invited the TDs, I invited senior representatives from Meath County Council, the TIA. We went in there, and would you believe it? The two two of the senior ministers wouldn't attend that meeting. And it's absolutely scandalous. Okay, and what reason is being given for the fact that there's traffic lights at a crossroads well, on a main road? Safety measures. Okay, that's, that's what they say. But together as a Not key- very convincing because there's yeah. just tens of crossroads yeah. all the way between Dublin and Derry. Yeah, the logic it, says there should be a, a traffic lights at every crossroads all the and way. And that's what we want to work our way through. I've made a huge start. I've made a huge start in getting this funding. We're working our way through it. But we can't leave it to others. You can't, if you live in the area, you can't leave it to me to totally sort out. But what I'd be asking you is for you to give your number one vote to the person who's doing <coughs> something about it. I'm a leader. I achieve, I do, and, but I need people behind me. If, if, if over the last, I, I've been listening for the last couple of weeks to what, what all, everybody, all these um, TDs can do, and if they've done as mu- much work in the last five years as they talked about in the last two weeks, we would have something worthwhile now. So they're talking an awful lot of water, waffle. I'm a leader. I'm asking the people who use that end to to get be behind me now, and I certainly will work to deliver the better end to And I've already, okay. on my own, as an independent, Ken, two, I've got €2 million Euro secured. And I've also moved the slain bypass up the agenda in the Department of Transport. That's something that hadn't been done, and that's something that I okay, have Okay, moving on, Joe. Is it true that uh, the discretionary fund that councillors get uh, for being councillors, I, th- I don't know, it's about 12000 15000 a year yeah. that they, they give out to local projects, uh, that you actually hand it back to the council. Is that true? No, it's not true. Well, it... it, it uh, <laughs> On the, on, I, I actually disagree with the discretionary funding for a start because as councillors we're responsible for the entire budget and I think that uh, councillors using that money to get votes is absolutely scandalous. Since you have, I've never broadcast this but since you asked the question I give the 15,000 or 12,000 up this every year since the years came in to the ho- emergency homeless and me I give it back to the department within me so the council spend. give you the money and you've handed it back to them and you've said put that in a particular department I mean I, I, a specific department they put I put it into provide for the homeless and me but would it not be politically popular for you to take the money and then you go to um, a, a various uh, community group and say by the way I am giving you this money and they will say thank you very much Joe that's worth the vote at the next election yeah but, yeah, but I'm not in this for votes I'm not in I'm in to do good and do what's right and I there's a department set up within Meath County Council that are specialists in dealing with those people. okay Joe we've one minute give us a one minute summary as to why people should vote for you next Saturday well, one is I'm good, and two is I I have achieved. Three is what you won't see in the media. I have consistently topped the poll in my area in the last no, number of, number of elections. I am not Fianna Fáil, Finn Gael, Sinn Féin. Never have been. I could have been a TD today had I sold out the people. If you vote for me, 
I'm not a pretender. I'm the only independent Meath that doesn't have any political attachments. And I am from Ashburn, from the Ashburn area, and I will serve the, the entire constituency. I am not, and no, okay. po- no party will, be t- will dictate to me as to what to do. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. That's an independent candidate in Meath East, uh, Joe Bonner, who is based in Ashburn. Okay, more to come. We'll take a break. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And Marie, I believe callers have been uh, very busy this morning getting in touch. Absolutely. They've been listening in and uh, I'm I'm sure that the listeners of the Loud Me area, who are not shy by any means, have plenty to say. Yes, Marie phoned in during your interview at the top of the show with Deputy Padre Tobin and she says there's all this talk about the need for houses and, you know, the plan to build houses, but there aren't enough construction workers to build them. And she says that when the country was in recession and there were so many people on the dole, why did they not take the opportunity then to provide training in the construction trade? She fully believes that there are people who have been on the dole, she puts, for too long. And she says that's a huge problem, that you should only be getting help from the state in between jobs if you're let go for a job and until you get another one but there's people that are on the dole for 10 or 20 years and even longer and she says that this should not be allowed to happen that if construction workers are needed we know where to get them. Right. Well, apparently there is a, a difficulty in attracting people into apprenticeships across a load of sectors. I believe that the hospitality sector is having difficulty getting trainee chefs, but there's a scarcity of plumbers, carpenters, electricians, block layers, and this is actually contributing to the delay in constructing enough houses to meet the current demand. Pat phoned in, says that the leader of Fianna Fáil, Micheál Martin, always knocking Sinn Féin. Why is he doing that? I think it's called politics. Uh. <laughs> Michael from Trim says that, listening to your interview with Pather Tobin, I think he's a man of principle who left the Sinn Féin party because of his beliefs and I do admire that. However, says Michael, he was in Sinn Féin for years and he didn't seem to mind where he got his orders from during that time, says Michael. Interesting comment, yeah. Anna says, I think it will be very interesting in relation to the contest in Meath West. Wondering, will Johnny Gurk hold onto the seat for Sinn Féin, especially with the surge in support for the party, as the recent poll shows, or will Padder Tobin hold onto it? It's going to be yes, fascinating. I think that Anna is, obviously likes blood sports. Yes, I think that is the question in Meath West. Where will the Sinn Féin vote go? Uh, I'm a big fan of Pather Tobin, says another listener. Never voted for him, interesting, when he was in Sinn Féin because I've issues with that particular party. But I feel he has made himself more voter friendly by leaving the party. And I admire that he stuck up for what he believed in. So there you go. Um, Margaret got in touch to say Joe Bonner is not just a talker. He does lots of work for the people of Ashburn. And he's not aligned to any party, Ken, which I think is key in my opinion. He's his own own man doing his best for the people and has worked hard for the area for a long number of years. Fianna Fáil says Eamon, no party in brackets, so <laughs> says Eamon, called themselves the Republican Party, Sinn Féin of the Republican Party. So to me, Fianna Fáil have shot themselves in the foot by saying they won't be in government with Sinn Féin, if you course, get all I, that. I'm old enough to remember that uh, Fianna Fáil, I think it was Porrick Flynn, said they wouldn't go into government with the PDs. And guess what? They went into government with the PDs. Exactly. Well, Richie from Tala is saying... 
Similarly, he's saying that Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, both of them will do a deal with Sinn Féin for power uh, and says, and to use the famous words, the famous phrase, for the good of the country. If it has to be done, they'll do it. So uh, another listener says, I listening in this morning to Pather Tobin, the hospital in Navin needs to stay open. And as for the doctor on call going to Dunshockland, that's an absolute disgrace. There should be a doctor on call in Navin itself. Well, that is only We've temporary already, and it yes. is only a temporary mm-hmm. uh, measure. Uh, another Sarah says, hearing all these candidates saying, uh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that on the doorsteps. But she's saying that... Um, she hasn't had one candidate knock on her door. So when she hears candidates on the show saying that this is what's coming up or commentators saying this is what's coming up in the doorstep, she hasn't had a chance to talk to anybody does on she, the doorstep. Does she live in the countryside? And she says, she, I'm just reading through it, she doesn't say here, have you had many callers? I don't live uh, in the I country. I think I've had I'd one, one and they left a little leaflet in the door. Yes, well I had one caller and the rest, and I live in a... In, in I, I, I live a, in the countryside myself. Yeah. A busy area. Uh, anyway, Sarah is saying that she hasn't had one at her door over the duration of the campaign and she says there's always somebody at home in her house in the evenings. She says she's found several leaflets with sorry to have missed you messages despite the fact that her doorbell didn't ring and she was at, at home. She says if candidates want your vote they need to put in the work and earn it, she says. A lot of people have been saying to me there's been no callers can so it is interesting is it a new departure or is it that they haven't enough time to call to every door I, I don't know I think particularly in Mead uh, there's been such a build up of urban areas like Rathout mm. and Laytown and Stamullen and Duleek and Dunshockton have become bigger and yes. uh, in the past you could do these places maybe in one day but now because there's just so many houses yes. uh, it's taking that little bit longer to get through them all Davy says that he's had his fill of this election now. It's all just empty promises from different voices every day and quite frankly he's sick of it. Every candidate has all the answers and will fix everything in the country. So he says he's looking forward to living in a perfect state after this election. I think the phrase is utopia. Is that what we call the perfect state? <laughs> Jim Bimid says it doesn't matter who wins the upcoming election. It'll still be the same circus, just run by different clowns. <laughs> uh, we also had, we had... Um, Make sure you vote, Jim. Absolutely. That's the main thing. John wants to know if anyone feels that this has been the longest short run into an election that we've ever had or is he the only one feeling this way? He says he knows the election was only called a couple of weeks ago but for some reason the campaign feels like it's been going on forever. It's just never ending and we still have this last week to go. Is anyone else out there suffering from general election 2020 fatigue? I am. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's been long long election run-ins in the past but I think there's been a few controversies in this one uh, which has kept it if you like uh, ticking along in the news um, I think in the 2007 election uh, we had a long run into the campaign I think it was in May of that year but there was no scandals or mm. no controversial comments made during the campaign uh, because the economy was booming at the time but it seems that this one's dragging on and the polls are very interesting as well the and they're throwing up a lot yes. of um, I suppose possible scenarios but I read an interesting post from a, a, a councillor who was only elected this year who said um, I'm glad that when I was running there weren't any polls as such this is in the local elections because it would put you off your mission maybe you know Course, yes yes 
So yeah. maybe polls, you're better poll, off the, putting the, them to one side and not taking much notice. Yeah, the polls don't always get it spot on, but they're usually they're usually a good they barometer. They are thereabouts. Yes, exactly, yeah. Elizabeth emailed in. She was listening to the interview uh, Michael did with uh, the Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty, on Friday. And Elizabeth says, I'm an avid listener and I was listening to your show on Friday. And she was taken aback by the Minister's attitude. And what she said appeared to be the disregard for what Michael was trying to ask her. She says, I volunteered to help my neighbour who was diagnosed with motor neuron disease in October 2019. I am an accountant and I am familiar with department paperwork and so took on to help with the processes. I would love to show you her treatment so far in regards to applications for invalidity, her daughter's application for carers and the county councils for grants, all stressful and causing such anguish to the family. This family have very limited means and never complain about anything. It is sad beyond words how they are lost in a system that's failing them. I'm under no illusion that these departments are under pressure, but to hear that discussion on the Golden Plate pension and the Minister's seemingly unwillingness to even answer you with deferring to 68 just annoyed me. Why will these politicians not answer what they are asked? I am watching all week and last week and listening in all week and last week and none of them can answer a simple question directly. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. So thanks to Elizabeth for that. Another listener in touch, Louisa, to say, can you answer me a question? Why are there only pencils in voting booths for elections? Can I use a pen if I want to? I don't know the answer, but I think the reason is that if you have a pencil and it has a rubber on top, that if you change your mind, uh, you can rub it out and uh, change a one to a two. Whereas if it's by pen, it could be classed as a spoiled vote. Now, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I think that's the reason. Well, I suppose suppose you use what's provided for you there. They, exactly, they have yeah. them there for a reason. You go into your booth and the pencil's there and the piece of paper, and then you fold it over and put it in the box yep. to make sure it's... It's secure after that. Sure, sure, yeah. Anyway, we'll finish on that one, Ken. I see a text coming in from somebody called Josie. Uh, Josie doesn't tell us where she's from, but she's raised what I think is going to become a very contentious issue uh, in the months and years ahead. And it relates to a new change in the regulations that if you want to get, I think, planning permission to build a house in the countryside, you have to prove that you've worked 25 acres of the land and have a green cert before you can get permission to build a house. This is going to become a very contentious issue, uh, as I said, in the months and years ahead. I think it's designed to try and put some sort of a limit or curtail the level of uh, level of one-off housing or bungalow building that's going on, particularly in places like Meath and Kildare and Wicklow. So it's a thing you'll be returning to in the months ahead. Okay, okay. we've lots more people uh, to talk to. If you do want to get in touch, our phone number is 1850-715-958. Our text number is 086-1800-658. We'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. As I said, if you do want to get in touch, our phone number is 1850-715-958 and our text number is 086-1800-658. Okay, we're moving on and we've got a number of candidates in studio now from the Meath West constituency. We're joined in studio by Minister Damien English, Minister of State at the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government. He is the Fine Gael candidate in Meath West and is based in Navan. 
Councillor Johnny Gwerk is from Oldcastle. He's a Sinn Féin councillor on Meath County Council. Dr Seamus McMenamin is based in Navan. He's the Green Party candidate in Meath West. And John Malone, who is from uh, Oldcastle, is representing the Renewer Party. OK, uh, Damien English, I'm going to start with you. You're a minister, but you're a man who's in the doll as it speaks and uh, as I speak. And, uh, well, let's just say... That Red Sea opinion poll yesterday, would you accept it's a bit of an embarrassment for Fine Gael? There's been a lot of polls in the last couple of weeks. Uh, can you know me at this stage? I always go my poll, I take from the doors. Uh, and I would find it on the doors that it's very different to the national polls. Um, a lot of people still have to make up, make up their mind. It was very clear to me on the canvas over the last couple of days. Um, people who want to engage, there's great engagement, talking through the issues. They want to ask about the party's policies and they want to see are some of the, the promises being made, are they real? Can you re- are they genuine? I would, I, I would advise people to really look behind all they're hearing and think about it. But to me, I think it's, um, it's all very close out there, without doubt. Um, so I, I don't, and I know there's more polls tonight, there'll be more polls tomorrow. Let's see what them all, to me, the poll will be next Saturday and it'll come down to what people really believe what's important for the future of this country. Right, and, but the uh, Red Sea polls are pretty, pretty much on the ball down through the years. I mm. mean, the fact that Sinn Féin have passed out Fine Gael suggests that the public want change. You've had budget surpluses for the last number of years and it seems you haven't spent the money, for example, in the health service and the failure to deal with the housing crisis, which in fact is your area, mm-hmm. uh, is resonating badly with the electorate. Would you I, accept well, that? I suppose, I think people realise actually the budget surpluses only have to come in kind of this year and people now know that yes, there's more funding <laughs> looking ahead and we now have choices to make and yeah, absolutely we're discussing housing, health, broadband all the other issues as well that affect people's daily lives and people do have expectations and do want us to invest that money wisely but when you tease through the housing with people the most reason people realise that there's a lot happening in housing over the last three years we started our housing plan three years ago it was a five year plan uh, and now we have construction all over the country and there's about 380 uh, council sites building houses but apart from that the private sector is back building houses again people are back working there so I think most people when they actually analyse and think about it, they realise there is improvements here naturally we all want to do more so do I I mean I'm, a, I'm ambitious for this county and this country too we have to push on and do more and I, I would say that this to me people out there are actually only deciding these couple of days all the polls I've seen uh, and I haven't had a chance to go deep in them all but most of them were finished before last Thursday and there's a poll due out tonight that's carried out over the last four days to me that'll be a very telling poll uh, and I actually think that'll show Fianna Gael uh, well ahead of, of Sinn Féin and, for, and probably neck and neck with Fianna Fáil going on the doors but look at every candle speak for themselves but I think people will only decide these next couple of days and they are actually giving us a lot of talk because they realise this is very very serious now for our future this is an important couple of years for this country to okay. build on I'll try and come back to you later on Damien about uh, the ridiculous cost of rent in this country. Uh, Johnny Gwerk, I'm going to move on to you. You're based in Oldcastle. Sinn Féin, it seems, wants to, if you like, impose a, a higher tax on people who earn more than 140 grand a year. I mean, the amount of people earning 140 grand a year, relatively small in this country, and in real terms, it wouldn't pull in a lot of money. Aren't you selling a message to the public that in real terms... Sounds good on paper, but in in monetary terms will make absolutely no difference to the state exchequer. Well, Ken, um, our, our, our figures are fully costed by the Department of Finance, so anything we have in our manifesto has been fully costed, allowing 
ex- additional money for a rainy day fund. So, if if you want to um, talk about that, we have, we have we have the strongest spokesperson in the Dáil on finance and Pierce Doherty, and we we have a lot of faith in him that all our figures add up. So, um, I, d- I don't agree with that. And uh, as regards um, going back to the housing issue, um, it, it it is a disgrace in this day and age that um, over ten thousand people are homeless, and especially four thousand of those are children and people waiting up to 10 years for a local authority house and no affordable accommodation. And Sinn Féin is saying they're going to build 100,000 council homes over the next five years and it's going to cost the Irish taxpayer 6.5 billion euro. It seems that Sinn Féin is going to borrow a serious amount of money to deliver the houses and the hard-pressed taxpayer will then have to pay for it all from that point onwards. So, my, um, Ken, are you saying that we should leave the housing issue the way it is? No, but what, we, what we're saying, uh, Ken, is an additional £6.5 billion over over the lifetime of the government. That This issue has to be tackled head-on, and we are, we are the ones that will tackle it. We, we have committed that this is the biggest issue facing the country, and we will also uh, cut and freeze rents for a three-year period. And... Uh, we have to tackle this head-on if we want to make any progress on it. Okay, you're also mm. saying you're going to introduce free GP care at a cost of €455 million Euro per year. How's that going to work? It's, it, it's, it's, um, I don't know if it's €450 million a year, but it's two free GP, GP visits a year, which um, the average person goes to the doctor two times a year. So um, we, we have that in our manifesto again, which will be, uh, which is, again... It's all about choices, um, Ken. You can, you, can, you can have Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil making different choices. Our choices are to look after the people who are struggling day in, day out. And we believe that people need a break. And things like um, the, the, the two free GPs, GP visits a year is um, part of that. All right, but the doctors will have to be paid for out of central exchequer funds, which means the taxpayer will be paying the doctors. Uh, whichever way you look at it, the hard-pressed taxpayer continues to pay under Sinn Féin. Um, Ken, we believe, Ken, that people in this economy need a break. The only way you can give them a break is things like this. Two free GP visits a year. They're entitled to that. They've worked hard. They're, if you get sick, surely to God, you should be looked after. And our our, our um, party are saying two free GP visits a year. It's not an awful lot to ask. We're asking for different things like reducing the pension age to 65 and keeping it there. Thing, um, the universal social charge, anybody under 30,000 won't pay. So if you earn over 30,000, you only pay it on that amount. So these are things that's going to give pe- people a break. People need a break. And it's all about choices. Um, the, other ch- the other choices are between the different parties. OK, Dr. Seamus McMenamin, I'll come on to you. You're a Green Party candidate and you're based in Navan. The Green Party dropped a point yesterday uh, in the uh, Red Sea opinion poll. Uh, is it fair to say that the Green agenda has peaked? Um, well, I think, obviously, every politician you ask that question of will say the real poll is on election day um, and I think certainly from our point of view um, when people are starting to really look at the issues um, and I think people are in the final week is when they really firm up and decide where they want to go so certainly what I've found uh, from canvassing is that there are still a lot of undecided voters and I think from the point of view of uh, looking at changing the way that government happens. People say they want change. I don't think that's just a, a shuffling around of the parties who are in government. I think they actually want governments that will plan for the future rather than the next election. And most of the problems that we're, we'll be talking about today will need probably at least 10 years to solve more than one government and will need parties working together rather than 
um, sort of uh, competing with each other for for resources or minister uh, uh, ministerial posts. So I think that um, we what we are seeing uh, within our party, our membership has doubled. We are seeing that our our, our growth share in over 65s has, has gone up immensely because we're now seeing a lot of grandparents worried about their grandchildren's future. Um, and I think from that point of view that if people are looking for a party that will uh, thinks in the long term and acts now, that's really where the Green Party stands. John Malone, can I come on to you? Because um, you're with Renewa. The last time I checked, Renewa didn't even have a party leader. I mean, is Renewa a lost cause at this stage? Uh, well, you see, this is the narrative. Come, come right I, in there, John. This is the narrative that occurs uh, from the media. Uh, the Renewa Party, uh, Renewa Ireland, is a party composed of ordinary people in rural Ireland, towns and villages. Uh, we have seen the effect of monopolies in the trade and grocery trade in Ireland. We've seen the monopolies of political parties in Dáil We've seen the result, which is deserted towns and villages. Uh, there's so much needs to be done in these towns and villages uh, that I think it's, there's room for renewal Ireland and hopefully John Malone with the experience of working and living in this country when it was a far safer country without the social issues and disturbance that Okay, we John, but if, if somebody stopped you on the, on the street in uh, Crossachiel or Oldcastle and said, how are you, John, how are things? Tell me this, what does Renewal stand for? What would you say? It stands for the sort of local issues that I've just described. Uh, it stands for the sort of... It's, it stands for the for the revival of these towns and villages and steps to be taken. I'll just give you an example, a, a real simple positive example. The restra- restoration of the below-cost grocery order for family stores that were destroyed with the with the abolition of that grocery order by Fianna Fáil, by Michal Martin when he was Minister for Industry and Commerce. Also, uh, we 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 and we. We, we wish to uh, limit the expansion and the opening hours of the multiples and the monopolies that, that bedevil the state, not just in the food trade and the clothing trade and the hardware trade, but regretfully in the meat trade for farmers. So we have very positive policies for to address that. We haven't got pie-in-the-sky policies. The result of the various parties that are in power has resulted in the the kind of these towns and right, villages, sure. not but, so but, much Strahada. Yeah, no, but I, I'd make the point to you that uh, Renewa have made absolutely no impact whatsoever. You're, you're struggling even to get 1% in the polls. I don't think you have a party leader. You have failed to get your message out there as to what you stand for. Lucinda Creighton left the party. Billy Timmons left the party. Eddie Hobbs left the party. Is it not time for Renewa to sort of pack it in and not go elsewhere? They, they, they were in uh, they were in for their own particular reasons. It's now composed of ordinary people up and down the country. We have 13 candidates standing and I suggest uh, that they should get some votes from people that might be fed up with the main parties that have resulted in these deserted towns and villages. OK, Damien English, I'm going to come back to you. Um, lots of parents listening to this programme at the moment find themselves in a situation where their sons and daughters, if they're living in Dublin, they are paying rents. The rents are even greater than the average mortgage. Uh, we have a situation where there are parents listening into this programme 
who may have gone to a particular school and they can't get their young Johnny or Mary into the local school because too many people are looking for too few places. What do you say to people who feel that this government has basically turned a blind eye and a deaf deaf ear to what's been happening in the marketplace? Okay, a couple of issues there. First of all, I would say, and I have to make this very clear, we have to, we now have choices and we have money to spend in this country, and that's based on sustainable job creation. So people's hard work out there, working very hard, brings in all the taxes we need to be able to invest in health, housing, education, and so on. And I have to say, and I have to make this clear, I believe that Sinn Féin's policies are anti-job creation and will cost us jobs. So I think we shouldn't take for granted that we now are very close to full employment and the taxes that brings in, and we need to protect that part of our, 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 our economy and also we have to manage the Brexit deal and so on. So we need to we can't take where we are for granted as an economy because that gives us the money to pay for everything else. Now, you've asked me about education. Well, in, in Midwest alone, we've invested over 218 million in education over the last couple of years and most schools that, that, that I've engaged with have got extensions, have had new schools built. When a situation arises, we said they could trim where there's a shortage of places, the Department of Education has stepped in and there's right. now... Well, well, no, no, well, sorry, Ken, you've yeah. asked a question yeah, sure, yeah. and we've now stepped in and sanctioned additional accommodation so that's what we're able to do because we have the funds to do that you mentioned housing absolutely rent is too high there's no doubt about that but the only way you'll bring that down is to build houses now I've heard every party saying they're going to build all these thousands of houses that's fine we're all not too far off the same targets but actually how are we going to do that well my job uh, for the last couple of years has been in house and going you know site by site action by action actually making it happen mm. painting a figure is one thing building the houses is another thing we have delivered now this year and, and the year just gone over 22,000 new houses the money set aside this year will bring in about 25,000 houses that's how you bring rents down that's how you solve housing shortages you need to build houses not just talk about it, but actually implement plans action by action and that's what we have achieved as a government and we want to do more of that OK well Johnny what do you make of that uh, point that Damien just made there that uh, Sinn Féin would actually um, increase unemployment because you're going after the wealth creators, the people who take the risks, no, the people... But employers, do you want to increase employers' share of PRSI? Uh, that's, that's a deterrent to jobs. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that, that mm. Sinn Féin will, if you like... It's not just wealthy people, it's anybody creating jobs. Yeah, so what do you say to that, Johnny? I'd say um, Damien is probably getting it on the doors and he knows where Sinn Féin is going. No, but deal and with the point. Yeah, deal with the point. But, but I just Six want to answer, point, an, answer, the, answer, answer the question, Damien. No, no, you answer my question. Yeah. Damien, Damien is going to the doors and he's hearing it that anybody bar Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, Damien knows well that Fianna, Fine Gael have failed miserably on housing. The, the, the people are lying on the streets. Kids eight, yeah, no, the, we, we, know this, Johnny. We, we know this, Johnny. But what would you do in terms of a fresh idea? What would you do to solve the problem? We are talking that we, over the lifetime of a government, we're going to build 100,000 houses. And you're, you're, you can ask the question, where is the people going to come from? We can divert builders from, from commercial properties, from hotels, from all that can be diverted to get the workers to build the, the houses because housing has to be a priority, Ken. That has to be yeah, the number sure. one issue. So we, we are divert people away from commercial properties, from, from, uh, from building hotels and anything to divert them to housing. And that has to be a priority. And that's what Sinn Féin will do. Seamus McMenamin of the Green Party. I mean, what's the, the great big green idea to solve the housing crisis? Um, so we are, like a, a lot of other parties, proposing to build uh, public houses and public land, but also we're proposing a, a cost rental scheme. So this is where the housing authority or the council would uh, build the house. And rather than charging market rent, they charge the cost of building the house um, over a number of years, 20 or 30 years. And then at the end of that period, if people have bought a house or moved on, 
uh, it reverts back into public ownership and the, the asset can be re- renewed for, for the next person who needs it. So we think with a combination of those things, there should be the opportunities to take the pressure off and uh, provide housing for people who need it. What's your, what's your response to that, Damien? Okay. Because, I mean, th- there seems to be a bit of oh, merit in that. Well, obviously, cost rental, we're doing the same as well. There's, there's two cost rental schemes up and running at the moment. But I want to make a point here. There's, an, there's a perception being given by parties, and this is in the last couple of months in the debate as well, that there's that the, this government, my government, are not building social houses. Just to be clear, let's take Mead as an example. Mead County Council last year, uh, helped over 1,200 families into, into, into new homes. This year, uh, they'll, do, they'll do the same again because they have record budgets for housing. They are building housing on and their own. And some people might say that's not enough. No, no, of course it's not enough. We need to do more. But, but I'm afraid you don't... Literally three years ago, local authorities were building less than 100 houses. That's nearly zero. Last year, just gone, over 10,500 properties. Hmm. This year, over 11,000. You don't go from zero to 11,000 in six months. It, it took us three years to get there. Now, we want to build on that. And every party now, I'm glad to say, is committing to this as well. But you have to actually make it happen. And it did take a couple of years to get sure, housing Sure, sure. Well, Johnny Gork of Sinn Féin, do you, yeah. do you yeah. actually take the, take, yeah. the, take the view from yeah. Damien Ings? Yeah, things, things are actually starting to improve. Yeah. Ken... Our county, Mead County Council, is the lowest funded county council in Ireland. No, that's By not true. 31 out of 31 from central government funding. Our county is losing out 74 million a year by not getting the national average. Mm. How, how can we pay for services like housing, roads, community facilities, playgrounds? D- Damien and Fine Gael have been in power for nine years. Fianna Fáil before them for years. That, who's tackling yeah, that issue? Okay, well, that. come in there, Damien. Naturally, yeah. we all want more increased funding from Mead County Council, and that's my job, and we've been doing that. I'll give you two examples. The roads funding. And Johnny knows this because he tries to claim he fixes all the roads. But we have fixed the roads in County Mead with an increase of over 40% in the roads funding over the last two years to Mead County Council. Secondly, Mead County Council is probably the third highest for housing delivery and housing construction in this country because I've worked with them and they know that whatever money they want to build houses, fix houses, address housing, they've got it. And they're certainly not the bottom of the pile. They're one of the highest in the pile. Well, I just want to bring John Malone. John no, Malone of Renewa. Much, I'm what, 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 I got a chance to say Yeah, well, no, well, don't be afraid to, 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 no, to, to, to put in. But but, uh, but, there's too but, much of that happens. I know, but uh, let me ask you, what's the great big Renewer plan to deal with the housing crisis? Well, you see, Renewer gets no publicity from the media boys. Now, not by LFM, but by the main RTE. Uh, uh, but you have very little now, support. We, we, how can you get support if, if, if you don't get a bit of well, publicity? You, I put it to you that your policies right. are not the connecting with the public. The asking those gentlemen about houses. Now, I just pose a, a simple question. It does it not occur to these gentlemen here uh, that if you allow an influx of about 700,000 people from other jurisdictions, there's going to be pressure on houses, and not just houses, every other um, facility or health situation that we have in schools. Look, there's so many problems uh, in this C- country. Come right in there, that, John. Yeah. At, this, at this time in this country, uh, that uh, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere, and uh, all these solutions that uh, Damien and uh, Johnny Gook is talking about all costed and all this. Look, we've got to start somewhere, and houses uh, and, is just and one the renew- of the problems. And the renewal plan is what? The renewal plan is to sort of deal with the underlying problems of the deserted towns and villages and deal with the housing problem. It's a civilised country shouldn't have Okay, Seamus, let me, pick up, let me pick you up on that point. Uh, what John was hinting at here, and it's starting to come up a bit more in media commentary, is that we let too many immigrants in, but we didn't have enough houses to meet the demand to house these people. That has driven up the cost of houses. It's driven up the cost of rents. Do you think that's a fair point? 
Well, if you actually look at the facts rather than the fears, um, uh, for every immigrant that comes into Ireland, there's a net benefit in terms because most immigrants uh, want to work, want to earn money. Um, We have sent a lot of our people out to other countries and we see how well they have done because they want to work and there's there's an energy and there's a certain drive. No, but, but if the supply of houses doesn't meet demand, everything goes up accordingly. I mean, isn't the point that John is making is we actually, as a country, let in too many people but we didn't expand our infrastructure accordingly. Well, I, I think if you look at the problem, um, the, there's this, the, the problem essentially came when council housing um, rightly was, was allowed, people were allowed to buy council houses and aspire to home ownership. And the problem was that uh, the replacement stock wasn't built. So we would have had this problem anyway because a lot of people have left the country I, to go I to Australia. Damien, you want to come in there? Yeah? And if they had stayed, they would have needed to be housed. I mean, I, I'm in, I'm in favour of people being able to buy their own homes. Tenant portion scheme is important. But let's be clear right here. And we're all, let's be clear with this. The reason we've got a housing problem, there's one reason for that. Fianna Fáil destroyed the housing market in this country and there was no houses built for seven or eight years. We've had to come in and try to rebuild a sustainable housing construction market. And yes, there's pressure because we've got people back at work and there's pressure for housing, absolutely. It's not because of emigration. This country is growing, it's thriving, and that does bring problems with it for infrastructure, absolutely. So how do you address that? You have to address it with immediate plans to address housing, but also you put in place long-term plans. We know this country will have an extra million people living here in the, in the next 20 years. So we put plans in place to bring housing construction to a figure of between 30 and 35,000. This year it'll be at 25,000. Next year it'll be at 30. We're nearly there. But what's important here is that you pick the party that keeps it at a sustainable construction level and manages the housing yep. supply not bust it again like the past sure, I, I wanna, that's so key to the future of this country I, I, I want to move on because there's so many areas to get through um, Johnny Gork the pensions issue um, you're insisting that the state pension uh, be paid at 65 uh, the pension was brought in at a time when people uh, basically retired uh, in a way that they didn't have a longer life beyond the pension but now people are living longer and the problem is that uh, there was a bulge in the population in the 1960s and that bulge is now approaching retirement age. The state doesn't have the money. So isn't the plan by the state to expand the pension up to 66, 67 and 68? Doesn't it make financial sense? Michael or um, Ken, if you if you worked all your life, Ken, and you work in construction or anything, I don't think um, you would be in much of a position to to continue working after 65 years of age if 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 they're going to ask you to go on social welfare or the dole call it whatever you like from 65 to 67 and they're going they're still going to have to pay 160 euros or whatever a week the, the difference is 40 40 euros a week that they have to make up and to down, to degrade somebody and ask them to do that in my opinion is wrong and it's only going to cost a couple of hundred million in the scheme of things John Malone I mean do you think the pension should be expanded up to 67 and 68 I do no such thing uh, as regards uh, the pension age. If people have worked, which which I have most of my life, uh, if they haven't the money for for this uh, people this pension, where are they going to get money for anything else? Because that's a basic human right. Now the first the first thing I'm going to say about this is the construction workers and people that doing hard manual labour should retire at sixty. Uh, because they haven't the energy to be hopping up ladders and roofs and all the rest of it after that. How would I can't. Uh, so you uh, want a pension age introduced at 60? Uh, for construction workers, for, la- for labour intensive in- industries, it makes sense, doesn't it? You can't expect a, a 64 or 65 year old man to be hopping up ladders and, and, and construction. So, Damien, uh, you've called it wrong on the pensions then by uh, the response of the public. 
Just to be clear, Kenya, right, the, the pension is a big issue out there and it's been dealt with. Every political party now has brought forward different solutions. Ours is, is, a, is a pension and a transition, pe- transition pension. Nobody's been asked to go on job seekers or the claim that. So that's, that's been dealt with. But you also have to, and, and rightly so, I think people are entitled to know uh, that, they, that they have access to their pension. But two things I want to say here. I don't believe somebody that has construction skills at 58 uh, doesn't have a lot to offer. We have a major plan to retrofit 500,000 houses as well as build over 30,000, 35,000 houses a year. We need everybody with the skills to get involved in different ways and I think there's a lot of pe- a person of a, a lot of experience in construction can help us with a skills agenda retraining retrofitting a lot of work to be done there but they're entitled to their pension there will have to be changes at some stage probably I think what happened was maybe the intervention w- was at too early so maybe we need to look at people coming into the housing or into the employment market now at, at 18, 20 and so on for their future but to be clear here we what, what, the, what the conversation is about all over Europe not just here is how do you make sure there's a pension pot in 30 or 40 years' time for all our children, all our grandchildren coming through the system. That's what the conversation is about. Okay. But naturally, I think the, okay. the, the intervention came too early. Okay, I want to move on to you, Dr. Seamus McMenon, because I want to change the subject to farming. We have a situation coming up when the deal with uh, the UK and the EU is completed. The EU will have less money in the budget. That means less money for farmers under the Common Agricultural Policy. A lot of your policies are farmer-related. What do you say to farmers who fear that their incomes are going to drop once this deal is done? Well, the first thing to say is that um, if you look particularly at beef farmers, um, the current system isn't working for beef farmers with an average income of €13,000. My own father had to give it up because he was losing money. So I'd be very keenly attuned to the fact that, um, you know, the farmers need to be um, paid to to do things which help the environment. And a lot of farmers um, share our policies in terms of looking after the land. You know, we talk about... The ecosystem, farmers talk about the land. They want to hand it on to their children, their grandchildren. And if the land isn't fit for for use, they won't have much to hand on. So we have plans to look at, obviously, at a European level with the Green New Deal. There will be reforms to the cap to help pay farmers to do things which help the environment. Okay, listen, we've only got four minutes left. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go round the table. I'm going to ask each one of you to do one minute. So John Malone of Renewa, why should people vote for you? One minute. Uh, because it gives a choice, it, it, it gives people a chance in Mead West, which I haven't got much of a chance as a rule, to step outside the box and give the like of Renewal Ireland a vote, if not number one, number two. And also because we have policies, very simple, and I'll just mention a re- couple of reasons. First of all, we would very quickly, canvas to in- reintroduce the below-cost grocery order, so as to give a level playing field to the people in the food trade. Uh, the farmers okay, have very lost... Quickly. No, hold on. Uh, we would also reduce the share of the monopolies in the in the supermarket trade. Okay, John, now you've got more than a minute there. I, 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 God, I don't think so. No, I, no, I you've got more, you, spoke. No, 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 come on, John, I've given you a minute. Now, I asked you to sum up in one minute what you would well, do. Well, it's very hard to people, do. You see, this, is the prob- this is the trouble that we're in. Uh, these gentlemen here got far more time than I got to, to say anything. Well, I, I, uh, I didn't stop you from butting in. I didn't stop well, you from I wouldn't in. do that. Okay, okay very quickly, yourself. one minute. Why should people vote for Seamus McMenamin of the Green Party? I think if you look at all the problems that we're looking at, housing, 
and health, uh, public transport, you know, 80% of people in Meath commute from outside uh, to, uh, the county to go to work. Um, a lot of it is, is down to the, the lack of long-term planning, planning for the next election rather than the next decade. And um, we're, uh, in the Green Party, um, our, our core philosophy is always to, you know, uh, look to the future but act now. So certainly um, we know the effect of climate change crisis is going to have on ordinary families. If we don't act now, it's going to cost us a lot more down the line. So I think if you believe that uh, not just changing the parties in government, but changing the nature of government, uh, you should give the Green Party your number one vote. OK, Johnny Gwerk of Sinn Féin. Why should people vote for you and your party in Mead West? Well, um, if, if the, the three D, TDs that are representing Mead West, in my opinion, were managing a football team, they would have been sacked a long time ago. It is obvious to me that the people want change on the doors and Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil represent more of the same. You know that by voting for me, you will get somebody who will work hard for you every single day. I will bring the same energy and enthusiasm that I brought into Mead County Council into the Dáil. If you want real change in this county, vote for somebody who will get things done. On February the 8th, vote Sinn Féin and vote for Johnny Gork. OK, one. Damien English, why should people vote for you with your track record in Leinster House and as a junior minister? I think my, my track record is one of delivery. So I'm asking uh, the people of Mead West to vote for me, to give me the number one. I want to be that strong voice in Dalairn. I want to be the TD who continues to deliver for Mead West. And I do believe I have the skills and the experience to guarantee that we will get our fair share of taxpayers' money, their own money, spent locally. I want to deliver for local facilities, community facilities, sporting grounds, services for our young people, including mental health services, uh, services in health, health reform. I want to make sure that we're looking after our ageing population. Uh, we, we, need, we need to invest in public transport, the railway line, and job creation, also in education. And I do believe there's an opportunity here to develop a higher education campus in Mead. But I think the key here, here is I am a party that's involved in Very solutions. Very briefly. Yeah, no, we are involved with solutions. And yes, there's a feeling for change. I believe now that we now have the funds to drive that change across all our services, okay. across all our infrastructure and I believe my party Fine Gael party are the ones to lead that change with okay. the, the money we now have to invest OK we we'll leave it there because the clock is against us I want to thank uh, Minister Damien English of Fine Gael Councillor Johnny Gwerk of Sinn Féin Seamus McMenamin of the Green Party and John Malone of Renewa who are candidates in the Mead West constituency more to come we'll take a break Ken Murray on LMFM. Yes, this is Ken Murray sitting in for Michael Reid this week. Our phone number is 1850-715-958 and the text number is 086-1800-658. Well, if you live in Louth and me, then you travel to Dublin every morning. You may probably not be surprised to learn that almost a third of motorists spend longer on commuting to work or school than they did one year ago. New research from AA Roadwatch suggests that the trek to work every morning is getting more cumbersome, lengthy and indeed frustrating. I'm joined on the line right now by Connor Faulkner of AA Roadwatch. Uh, Connor, lots of people from the Loudmeath area, as I was saying, make their way into Dublin every morning uh, for work and sometimes the easy bit is actually getting to Dublin uh, and then crossing the city is like another day's work on itself. So what have your figures found in this research? Yeah, well, you're right, in what you, you're right in what you say. I mean, and in fact, if people in Louth and Meath are probably the worst affected in the country when it comes to the, the traffic and transport planning legacy of failure that we're faced with in Dublin at the moment. It really does bite for people in the commuter counties. Now, what we've done here is we did a... a we, regularly communicate with AA members and motor insurance customers. People will know that. So we engage in surveys just to, to uh, make sure that we understand people's views on this. So this had a large sample size. It was 6,500 uh, Irish drivers, all AA members or AA customers. And we asked them what their view was of their morning commute. Uh, 
And what they're reporting is that it's got worse. It's got worse in the last 12 months. That doesn't truly surprise us because it's pretty closely correlated with economic growth. So if we have higher numbers of employment, higher levels of economic activity, because we've never managed to decouple the two in Ireland, that immediately means more traffic. And that's exactly what we're seeing. But it also, also, I think, just demonstrates the long-term failure to plan here in Ireland. You know, we we built some good roads. That was, you know, that's like building one leg on which to stand a stool. We haven't invested in the other things that any modern city of our size needs. We've allowed... um, urban sprawl to move out into the commuter counties in an inefficient way and that's no criticism of any individual involved but you know if you've got people commuting from Drogheda to Dublin and having to use the M1 to do it uh, inevitably you're going to cause congestion at every link in the chain and that's what happens so it, it teaches you a bit about what you get if you fail to plan. Okay, well, one ponders how bad things would be if the M50 was not built, but we have a problem, uh, particularly in Meath, where we have a rail line from Dublin to Navan, and despite endless calls to turn it into a passenger line, uh, the government seems to be turning a deaf ear on this. Would this help the case in the, in the Meath scenario? It would help, certainly, because the main challenge for Dublin City, and, and then by extension, the neighbouring counties, it's not so much the traffic in the city as such, I mean, that's there, but really it's the commuters. It's the tidal flow movement of commuters in in the morning and out in the evening. And that tidal flow is hundreds of thousands of people, and that is their main uh, transport journey of the day, of the year. And, and at the moment, in disproportionate numbers, they simply have to use the private car because anything else is totally impractical. You might get some, uh, you know, various campaigners tell you, Asher, you have public transport from Navan. Try using it. Try using it regularly when you need to get in your office for nine o'clock. It's very, very difficult to rely on and, and, is, and is therefore really just not fit for purpose. Now, contrast that with how other cities of similar size uh, arrange themselves. For a start, other cities of similar size live on a smaller footprint and they also invest in things like metro and rail systems. So the main mechanism for moving the commuters is not the commuter's private car. It's our dependency on the car that has us strangled. Okay, I mean, are we victims of our own success? We're told the economy is booming again. More people are at work in the Irish economy than ever before. The government is returning budget surpluses. Unemployment, I think, is around 4.7%. Are we just basically uh, back to where we were during the Celtic Tiger boom, but we haven't expanded the infrastructure accordingly to meet this increased uh, traffic that uh, if you like, clogs up our roads every morning. Yeah, we we do sort of lumpy booms in Ireland, don't they? They're somewhat imperfect. Um, I mean, I believe the stats and the data, and there are those people at work, and there is that traffic on the roads. There's also plenty of people out there for whom it doesn't feel like a boom at all. It just feels like uh, you know a never-ending cycle of hard work and traffic jams. Um, but but it is true that whenever the economy lifts, with it come the traffic jams. They always worsen, um, and it it just teaches you that if you want to fix this permanently, if you want to decouple that link, then you've got to invest in in, in long-term, large-scale public transport projects. So I, I, look, I know there's a lot of talk about bus connects. It truly frustrates me. You know, please don't talk to me about buses. The 100-year future, the 500-year future of Dublin City is not going to be buses. At best, you're pushing the problem 
a dozen years down the road. Uh, I, I think we need to show more vision. We did build things like the M50. There are plenty of people argued we shouldn't build it. At the time, they were wrong. We, we built the Port Tunnel, we built the existing Lewis lines, we built the M1 motorway. And not all spend has been particularly wise. The M3 motorway, with its tolls on it, is, is underutilised and not a great piece of design. But overall, when we build infrastructure, it pays us back in spades. We need to adopt that sort of attitude to the building of rail-based public transport infrastructure or we'll be having this conversation, Ken, forever. Is, is the solution like what they have, we'll say, in Los Angeles, where you have motorways that cut right through the city? Now, I know Dublin is very much a Georgian city, and you wouldn't be able to knock properties, but is that one way of getting people in and out of the city quickly, or is indeed uh, is there a solution at all? Well, in my opinion, that uh, Los Angeles solution, if you like, I, I, I would absolutely hold that up as an example of what Dublin should not do it would be ruined. If you simply put more roads out, even if we had a magic wand that could give you Californian level uh, uh, roads, I, I, I think we would regret that deeply because I, I think it would encourage people to drive into the city, which is not where you want to be in modern cities. We need to move away from that. I would use the investment instead for rail and metro. Um, you know, the way we're moving around in cities is improving these days. And, and in the modern okay. world, you should never need or want a car in the city centre. OK, Conor, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm sure it's a topic you'll return to again and again and again. That's Conor Faulkner there of AA Roadwatch. That just about wraps it up for this morning. I want to thank Maggie McGuire and Marie Cairns who put the programme together. Paul McKenna on sound. Myself, Ken Murray. I'll be back again tomorrow morning. So until then, take it easy throughout the day. And Sinead Brazel is next. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 